We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, it's Watt Harris here, another Panther Rants podcast. It's uh, late Thursday. I'm recording on my way home from work. Although, I wanted to do this probably... I wanted to do this Friday morning, but I got the urge to do it today. Don't ask me why, okay? But I am. In fact, I'm kind of glad I waited because I was going to do this Thursday morning and it was going to be a, a pretty much a crappy news dump of uh, stuff on my podcast that really, you guys pretty much won't, won't feel like uh, listening to it anyway because it's a waste of your time. It'll just be pretty much random crap and overanalyzing some sh- stuff from Pitt. And I'm, I'm sure this podcast will tell off as the summer comes because the news will just be, let, 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 you know, not as much, but, um, you know, some interesting things have come up to point. Well, for one thing, uh, Pitt just announced their hall of fame class for their, you know, their athletics. Great class. Um, I guess Tyler Palco was not on the list. I guess there's some people that joke. They said, no Palco. Palco's, um, probably not going to get not going to get in for a while. You know, if we're doing this every year. Well, I doubt he'll be on next class or class after that. Who knows? He might. You know, I mean, this is on your on what they've done athletically. And, I mean, to be fair, if, I mean, for being re- realistic here, I mean, other than the uh, Big East, you know, Big East title getting us to the BCS and the, uh, the five-touchdown F-bomb game against Notre Dame, his first year as a starter at Pitt, there's not really much else to write about Tyler Palco the rest of his career. Uh, basically, he went through a coaching change, and he went he went 11-12 as a starter for the rest of his um, career at Pitt, and they didn't go to a single bowl game after that. Not to mention, uh, they, you know, 2006, they started 6-1, and they imploded big time. And you can't really put that on Palco at all. Well, you you probably can, part of it. But it just, uh, that year, basically they went 6-1 because they had, they played pretty much a bunch of cupcakes. A lot of those guys, a lot of those teams sucked. They were just bad teams. I mean, Virginia was bad. They're, they're only lost during that stretch with Michigan State, and Michigan State wasn't even that good. In fact, they were on the cusp of being Notre Dame, I think, a week later, and they were crushing them, and their coach was John L. Smith, and John L. Smith does John L. Smith things, and, well, 
that was that. You know, of course, pit was undersized. Unfortunately, they were still undersized. So when they went to play Michigan State, you know, at home, you know, Michigan State eventually wore them down and posed their will. So you know, Pitt was still just going through that transitional thing, and we thought we thought after the first year we worked at the Kings, but it turns out we were getting more time than anything else. And eventually, we had to act, we had to um, hire a new strength strength and conditioning guy because we didn't like the one the guy that we had. So we brought back Buddy Morris, and Buddy was having these guys supposedly, uh, I guess, dragging the cathedral around, pretty much. So, yeah, that's the unfortunate thing about Tyler's career is he went through a coaching change and not to mention the talent they had around him just wasn't good. Skill player-wise, he had had players around him. It's just he didn't have people to block for him. And pretty much, you know, that final game when he played against Louisville Hines, that pretty much summed up his career for the most part, where he pretty much was running for his life for most of it. But uh, yeah, they went six and one that year, and once the schedule got tougher, that was about it. You know, one game they lost that was very unfortunate was UConn, where they blew a fourteen point lead late in the game, where Matt Cavanaugh was trying to run Larod Stevens up the middle to kill the clock. And, of course, D.J. Hernandez made her uh, defense in the Swiss cheese. and Yeah, 2006 was, was a pretty much a forgettable year, as was 2005. But if you look at the list, it's pretty much your uh, football-wise, you know, Dick Marino, Dorsett, Freilich, Goldberg, Green... It's your typical things, typical. It's your typical names when you think of a pit football and its golden history. And then, of course, basketball. Your obvious one's Charles Smith. When you think of pit hoops, Charles Smith. But of course, there's other guys too from pit hoops back in those days. I mean, Sam Clancy's another guy. Jerome Lane, Brian Shorter, Jason Matthews. I mean, there's a bunch of guys from pit hoops. And if we're going, you know, of course, Orlando Antigua as well. I mean, but Orlando, you know, I think Orlando was on the tail end of those Paul Evans teams and the early Willard years teams. And, you know. And there's Vontigo Cummings as well. And Vontigo, unfortunately, didn't play on, a, you know, really any good pit teams. I mean, there was there was the NIT team in 96-97, but that was about it. They just never really... 98-99 was supposed to be the year for pit hoops, but, and they went started off with a tear, and then they imploded against uh, Maryland. They were just never in that game. Maryland was a really good team. I mean, they were, they were on the cusp of being really good. But after the UConn game... Where they imploded that game, they um, fell apart as a whole because, well, they were pretty much 
getting their five finger discounts on hotel on the hotel telephones and things and yeah. But of course, not just you know all that, but also with hoops you got Doc Carlson who you know was the winningest coach in pit hoops. They won two national titles with them. That's back in the early early days of pit hoops. You know when they used to play in the gymnasium underneath the underneath the pit stadium. Yeah, if you ever, um, if there's one piece of ring I recommend as a pit fan is the history of pit basketball. It, it, it even has pictures of the old pit gymnasium. You know, from when I used to play. And basically, it was under, I think it was pretty much underneath the pit stadium for the most part. That's where it was. Makes me wonder what they did with that room. I mean, I, th- I think they made it into a weight room, possibly. I have to look it up and see, but it'd actually be kind of cool if they'd have kept that room. In, if that room was still underground and still intact, and it was like a time capsule. I mean, they could. I mean, they could. I mean, they could have had a game. They could have their games there. You know, for the for the Stallings era, just put the games there because I think that gymnasium probably probably only sell like t- probably two hundred people. Shoot, we would have we would have had a packed crowd every day. And, um, and of course, we also have the Olympic, the Olympic sports as well. You know, we got Herb, Herb Douglas, Roger Kingdom, Lisa Shirk, Trisha K. Smith, who obviously is, you know, really decorated track and field. And of course, we got John Woodruff. And, you know, he's, his, he really doesn't need no introduction. His name speaks for itself. So, it's a pretty solid list. I mean, it's a really good list. I mean, who could get in next? Olympic sport-wise, I'm not sure who else. I'm sure there's plenty of names. I just don't know them off my head. It would take research. But obviously, if I'm talking pit football, pit basketball bunch of guys Mark May he's one he could he, he could be in the next class maybe Larry Fitzgerald although Larry didn't win the Heisman or anything he won the Blitnikoff Antonio Bryant another Blitnikoff winner so Aaron Donald because he won all those trophies I mean, he took him a whole bunch of hardware that year. I mean, those are obvious. I mean, if we're looking like recent years, there's some, you know, Donald and Fitzgerald are obvious picks from that group. So, but as pit hoops goes, you can, you're looking at Clancy, Jerome Lane, Sean Miller, another obvious choice, but I'm not sure how that goes. Jamie Dixon, although he coaches at TCU now, he has he's good he's he's a big part of Pitt's basketball history now for all he's done. So regardless of you know him leaving, he's still a big part of uh, you know the, the history of the Pitt program. So 
you know, he's an obvious, he's another one. So there's there's plenty of names to go by. Plenty of names. So moving on, I saw there was another article on the Pitt Penn State rivalry today, and I really didn't read. I really didn't read, read it at all, but I did see um, Dream Backfield, you know, the guy who runs the site. I guess the, the, the Twitter account. I guess um, mentioned. I guess the two for one thing. And so of course I read the article anyway, and yep, sacrifices have to be made to make this rivalry go. So Pitt has to. Pitch should accept a two-for-one. And that's what really gets me going is we're not going to accept a two-for-one ever. That's not how we play ball. If Pitt was Akron, pun intended, maybe even any other Mac school, Pitt would do a two for then they would do a two for one. Pitt is in a position where it doesn't have to accept a, have to ask a two for one, or should have to play one. Just like Penn State, Pitt doesn't have to play Penn State at all either. So let's not get it twisted here. Because here's the thing: when Pitt wasn't playing Penn State. After 2001, Pitt was still on the cusp of rebuilding their program. 2002, a few games here and there. Pitt's probably in contention for the B, for the Big East title, let alone BCS. The only thing that stopped Pitt that year was having a quarterback. That was it. Rod Rutherford was still developing. Despite the fact he was in his third, probably his third year in the program, and he just wasn't—it was his first year starting. He just wasn't all there yet. But and who knows? Rob may have been better suited by by playing uh, free safety, you know, or corner, or even wide receiver. Although now, when you say those type of things, it gets you in trouble. But he still had a decent. Rod still had a decent football career, even as a quarterback. But the, but in that, in that instance, that year, if people had an actual quarter, you know, not so much, more of a seasoned quarterback, I should say. Heck, scratch that. If they had David Priestley for another year. They probably are contending for a BCS title or a BCS bowl game, I should say. Not the national title, but the, the, a bowl game. Because 2002, that defense was really good. It's just we didn't have it all there on offense yet. Two thousand three, we finally had together on offense. Rob was, Rob was clicking 
Fitz was Fitz was a Heisman candidate. Myrie, well, Myrie, I think, was hurt for a good part of the year. That's one thing that plagued Pitt's offense that year is not having a consistent running game. In turn, we had to throw the ball a whole lot. But still, we had enough firepower to move the ball and score points. It's just the defense, especially on the, on the defensive line, really let us down. But that at the time, you know, that was a critical year, and Penn State was actually nervous about us. They were. To a point where they, uh, when the biggest was breaking up, they went after some of our recruits, even some guys that they weren't even recruiting against us. They were going after these players and trying to get them to, to, flip, their, to flip everything. They were watching Pitt very closely during that time. So, trust me, folks. The paranoia was there. It was there big time. It just, we fell apart that season. The Big East fell apart. But Penn State thought that Pitt would be eventually on the level of the MAC forever because nobody really respected Big East football. Although it wasn't bad, it wasn't really that bad of a conference, even when Miami and Tech and BC left. It was actually a pretty good conference. Still. I liked it because it was a lot of misfit teams and a lot of fan bases themselves were misfits. And it was great. We had a great time. But, um... Things had to change and Pitt... As Pitt said, I thought the Pitt would be on this lower uh, part of the landscape Pitt jumps to the ACC and so the landscape with uh, Pitt and Penn State football kind of evens out, although Penn State's always going to have a better program because they have the more money and more alumni support to do it but conference wise, the perception changes because Pitt's kind of an equal conference now if not better than Penn State football wise Well, well lately it's been better football wise And in the ACC, there's a lot more fur areas from the recruit, for, especially for Pitt to recruit. Whereas Penn State had to deal with the Midwest, and you know the Midwest pretty much is a, it's a dying area. There, the areas just dying. Okay, it's there's always going to be players, but Ohio State, Ohio State, Michigan's always going to grab them, grab a lot of them. Whereas you got a lot of people migrating to uh, you know to the Atlantic coast. Especially after when all the mills, all the mills shut down, people, that's where a lot of people migrated. So, Pitt's in good hands. So Pitt doesn't really need to schedule Penn State. It just, it'd be just a, a great game to have. Because Pitt can prosper without Penn, without having to play Penn State. And the only, the only winners in this is the state of Pennsylvania if this happens. But, again, Pitt doesn't have to accept a two-for-one or, or sell for a two-for-one ever. They don't have to. They're doing just fine, regardless of what people think. But, as always...
there's always be some moron in the media saying we should do a two for one. Nope. Not doing it. If anything, just play West Virginia. That's all we gotta do. And there we go. We got our we got our annual rivalry, rivalry hate game. But uh, other than that, I was gonna dig into uh, well for one thing for pit basketball, Capel still on the on the prowl recruiting. Uh, basically, two guys who recruited, you know, Xavier Johnson, Trey McGowan, they uh, signed their players of intent. They're coming on board. No word on um, what's her faces. No word on Willie Gallison yet, and I'm wondering if maybe Jeff Capel is recruiting over him, and I hope that he is. If I were, if I mean, if he, if it, personally I would be, if I were Jeff Capel, and force Ellison's hand, saying, "Hey, you know what? I got some other guys who want to come on board. If you want, I've." I've, I've kissed your ass long enough. If you want to be here, fine. But I got other people that want to be here. And I think eventually it's going to come. It's going to come to that. So, go sit another year and have fun with that. And pretty much you wasted pretty much most of your college basketball career. Bye. All right, so we knocked that one out of the park. One I was one I was really gonna get into was the was was uh, basically pit uh, pit football, just uh, looking over the roster and things, the depth chart, and the areas concerned for me. And basically, my big area concern for pit football right now is the offensive line and tight end, because we obviously missed Scott Orndorff after he graduated, because pretty much Orndorff was a big playmaker for us on, on offense at tight end and he was like a safety net as well nobody else nobody was open they went the orange off but one added bonus is we get George Aston back and he was also he was also a safety net as well if we needed a play we dumped it that we dumped the ball to him because he had the ability to go out and catch passes you know back in uh Two years ago, he helped us win a good bit of games. So we're getting him back, so we're not, which is awesome. But yeah, those are the. I mean, that's the big area concern because um, Matt Flanagan got hurt. Chris Clark never really wowed us. So I mean, I really don't see him, Chris Clark as much of a loss because other than the Rice game, there wasn't really much else he showed us. But uh, I'm looking to see how, you know, if we make some sort of adjustments, you know, if we're not going to get much out of the tight end position, what does uh, Sean Watson do at this point? And, of course, you know, the offensive line is a new coach, and how, how are these guys going to develop as well? Because we lost a good bit of uh, good bit of players due to uh, graduation and guys going to the draft. So obviously this is a bigger concern. I think the defense is going to ball out this year because they're deep than they've ever been. And it's about freaking time. 
running back wide receiver we're fine because we got plenty of players, guys who can play. Wide receiver though, we have plenty of talent. It's just we need the guy who's going to be the it, it guy. It's going to be Lopez because he was the lead receiver and he was dependable. But we need we need some guy who's going to be the it, the guy who's going to break the game open. We haven't really had that guy in a while. So, last thing about. And to close out this whole thing, because I was going to talk NBA playoffs and things like that. And, you know, not all you guys watch that stuff and you don't want to hear all that. So, but, uh, you know, here in Houston, we had a local local media shakeup where we had one guy get fired and um, one guy get suspended. You know, basically, you know, when I first moved to Houston, I didn't listen to Houston, Houston sports radio too, too much. I started listening to uh, Lance Zerline because he was doing some, some raps on Tom Savage. And then that's how I bumped and He was doing a morning show with Adam Clanton on 790. And, and uh, you know, basically they were my introduction to Houston sports talk. And Adam, I guess, just Adam got fired on Sunday on Monday because he you know, hit a little Twitter spat with Josh Innes. You know, Josh you know, was in Houston for a while, then he went to Philly, got fired, and came back to Houston, and he's, you know, he's done pretty well since. He's known for what happened on Radio Row earlier this year, when he pretty much you know, pushed the buttons of the, of the uh, rival, talk, rival uh, AM station. But obviously he didn't get along with some of the guys on 790, and Clayton's being one of them. But the problem with Clayton I had was in the, the last year... Uh, you know, I'm sure you guys can hear the big rig uh, blaring as we're bumper to bumper traffic. Sorry about that. But the thing about Clayton is the last year he was trying to emulate Clay Travis. And he would ha- he, he did have Clay on his show. And according to Adam, them two text back and forth. And I wonder if, you know, if Clay's found him a job yet. But lately I've seen a lot of these guys do this where they try to emulate Clay Travis and the thing about Clay is the difference between Clay and a lot of these guys is that Clay has his own show and has his own website. He's got 600,000 Twitter followers. And, you know, he makes a good bit of money off, off all that. Not to mention Fox picks up his show. He gets a whole bunch of sponsors. And on top of that, he has a law degree. So even if he doesn't, even, even if sports talk, you know, if his site would fall apart, I'm sure he can go back to practicing law again. A lot of things he can do. A lot of these other guys are emulating Clay don't have that. Adam especially. So, Adam got fired for something very minor. And my, my guess is, is the station was probably looking to offload him for a while because of his behavior, mostly on Twitter. And they were looking for just for a reason to do it. And this was their reasoning. But he's still doing the Rockets broadcast. And I hope he lands on his feet. But it's, you know, it's just one of those cautionary tale things. But anyways, guys. It's 27 minutes. Hell of Pitt. Enjoy your weekend.